microphone icon. You can use that to request speaking rights. We have some points of discussion to cover this week, and we'll try to get to as many of your questions as possible throughout the show. As a reminder, this show is recorded and will be redistributed via the Cap and Trade podcast. Thank you again if you're a returning listener, and if you're new, welcome. With that, let's go. All right, another week here on Cap and Trade, December 28th, episode, I don't know, like 18. So we have returning guests, good friends, Mike Meltzer and Landry Locker. Good evening, gentlemen. How are you, Cap? I'm doing great. Been on vacation for a while. Got more vacation to go. Don't go back to work till next Wednesday, so I am doing fantastic. I'm doing good too. I always wonder, like, does Mike really care when he asks how you're doing? Like, what if you said it's, you were doing terrible? It's like, is that a real sincere? It's how genuine. Are you doing? Or it's, I don't know if it's genuine. So we're already starting this off with uh, <laughs> the lack of authenticity from Melty. So you, hold on. Well, I think no, no, no. Like, well, Cap was the one who asked how how, how I was doing. Yeah, and I, I don't I, think I, he cared either. And I don't think he cared no, either. I think he. I think he cares. Like Cap's like a real adult. But I, I do care too. I I've, I haven't spoken with with you guys other than text for a little while, so I genuinely care. Okay. All right. This is a perfect start. A lot of it's all sincere. I, I I feel it through the airwaves. I just you know I hope <laughs> I hope I don't get COVID from Mike through Twitter through my. So I think we'll be okay. Yes. So, Alan, you know, exciting weekend. Texans beat the Chargers. David Davis Mills has a game. Rex Burkhead rushes for 8 million yards, recovers on outside kicks. He does everything. COVID ravished the roster, and they still did well. You know, it's a, it was a very, very fun weekend. I, I had a good time. I was fortunate enough to be able to go and sit in the press box for the first time in my life. So that was very fun. ton of junk food everywhere. I can't imagine. I can't believe how much junk food is out there. <laughs> Donuts and cookies and candy and true i was that was quite the spread but the food was good a lot of good folks there i got to listen to uh two guys from the la times uh moan and complain about what they were seeing on the field so that was fun for me and then uh but other than that you know it was a it was a good time it was a good game i really enjoyed it and wanted to we'll just start off with the game overall just uh kind of overall thoughts go ahead guys i go ahead was- Nelsie. Yeah, I thought it was the, the, the Texans' best overall performance since, like, at some point in the 2019 season. Like, whether – it's obviously not as significant as, like, the Buffalo win in the playoffs. But, like, in terms of an overall performance, because you look at the games they've won, like the Jacksonville game, Jacksonville somehow is worse than Houston is. Like, they're just an abomination. They can't beat anybody. Uh, the Titans game, they got a million turnovers. Like, this was a legitimate victory. Like, yeah, they were plus three, I think, in turnovers, but – you know, Davis Mills outplayed Justin Herbert. Uh, their defense, down a ton of players, was still able to make, you know, key stops uh, in the red zone, you know, get the key turnovers when they had to. Like this, I mean, they won 41-29, and they did not win by accident. Like, they ran the ball all over the Chargers. Uh when they had to, like, forget about the Tavier Thomas pick six. Like, I know it's like a nice highlight, but, like, they, the game was over by that point. I keep seeing them on the highlight shows, like, that was under two minutes with the Chargers having no timeouts. Like once once Mills hit Nico Collins, that is when that game came to an end. And on that drive, like being able to pick up numerous first downs and get that clinching touchdown, it was a complete performance. They ran the ball. 
Obviously, the most promising uh, thing that happened was the way Davis Mills played in that game. And it was a it was a legitimately good win. And you can look at the Texans, I think, on Sunday. This is the last point I'll make about this here. Uh, in contrast to September and October and a lot of those games we were watching, that team on Sunday looked like a genuinely rebuilding football team with some young guys playing particularly well. That was a nice win and a very impressive performance. Landry? Yeah, I mean, I Mike is pretty – he's obviously pretty, like, infatuated with the win. And I'm, I'm not trying to minimize it. Uh, I do think that the Chargers without Derwin James, for some reason, it's, it's just a completely different team. You saw them kind of fall apart against Kansas City when he left the field and they didn't have Bosa. So I think the Chargers were missing just as much as the Texans. To me, the most encouraging thing, though – was just how the young guys looked, uh, specifically the rookies. Uh, Brevin Jordan moving the chains on first down. Uh, Nico Collins, I mean, he's he seems to be finding his way, and I think Davis Mills looked pretty good. As far as the the, the you know just the win, it was it was the best half of ball they played in the first half, but I wasn't as like overwhelmingly blown away with it as you know Meltzer and McLean. I heard McLean say, you know, I don't know how the Texans overcame. Well, I mean. The, the Chargers didn't have Bosa, Derwin James, uh, Mike Williams, and, and some other guys. So I think it was a good win. Uh, I don't. I, I. I'm not as impressed with Tim Kelly as a lot of people are saying. I mean, if you're, if you have the luxury of being able to hand Rex Burkhead the ball 20 times and he gives you 150 yards, I don't know that that's really like some sort of schematic thing. I think that's just kind of flukish. But I'm very encouraged by how the young guys are looking. So I think big picture, and, and that's not to, to hike my leg on anything. I, I think what matters the most is the most encouraging thing because I don't know how much I put into what actually happened like from a short-term perspective because I think, I think the Chargers have as much issues as uh, any team down the stretch, especially without James on the field. But I think the fact that we're seeing that Nick Casario might know, know, know what he's doing uh, with rookies in many areas that we can get into, that was the most encouraging thing. Yeah, it's exciting to see the rookies out there playing. It's it's exciting regardless that they're out there for whatever reason it is that they're on the field as much as they are. It is exciting to see them. It is like you said, Brevin Jordan's probably the biggest high highlight for me is seeing him finding the soft spots in the defense, having that rapport with with Mills, getting past the first, you know, getting past the chains for first down. And he's just really finding his way out there and he's you know, he's climbed up to pretty much you know, above all the tight ends, not named Kyle Pitts out of the rookie draft class. And so that's starting to really look like a, a, a good potential date, you know, mid, mid-round pick. And so that part's exciting. Collins and Mills, they, they continue to have the rapport that they build all the way back to training camp. You know, that that uh, that check to the pass for Nico Collins' touchdown, you know, they were pretty much in a jumbo set. They they had three tight ends on the field with one, one running back and – and uh, you know, Mill he talked about it after the game. He looked over and saw the one on one with with Collins, and you saw the safety over in the middle of the end zone, nowhere near Collins and his cornerback. So he, you know, he took a shot at the one on one, one on one, and and Collins won the battle, and it was pretty much an easy touchdown. And so those kind of checks kind of gives me a little more confidence going forward with Mills, seeing him make those kind of changes at the line and have the confidence and his receivers and his players to make those kind of make those kind of moves. So, I mean, just overall, you know, I, 
I'm, I'm excited for the fans to have some optimism going forward. I'm happy, you know, I'm excited just for in general to, to see the team continue to find ways to create pro- positivity on the roster and keep the team moving forward instead of just shutting it down for the year. You know, I don't know if it was a combination of having that many young players on the field, you know, players that got elevated from the practice squad that, you know, they're all thinking this is my one chance to to get my, my film on film out there for other teams. So maybe that's why they all, you know, were on high level playing. But, you know, it's, it, it was just a good good win regardless of, of how we look at it. And, you know, it was good for the city. It's good for the organization. And, you know, and and despite some people looking at draft pick, luckily that didn't really affect their draft spot either. So kind of yeah. a win-win on that perspective. And the other thing that the thing that I really like about it is it's not as simple. If you look at like this draft class, can, can we transition into the draft class here and yeah. move past the game? Cause I yeah. just want to like from the draft class perspective, you know, just drafting good players is good enough. And I'm not trying to sound like simplistic, but it, it, it's good enough. Like if Brevin Jordan's playing like he's good playing and Nico Collins is playing like he's playing and Davis Mills is playing like he's playing. And then you have Roy Lopez contributing all year and then Garrett Wallow doing what he's doing. Just that like by itself is encouraging for a general manager that you have a small sample size of. But I think that the most encouraging thing is there's not like one formula for how these guys are doing what they're doing right now. And that to me is the most encouraging thing about Nick Casario, because you have a situation where they brought Davis Mills along slowly, and then they kind of had to throw him to the wolves and then they sat him back down. And now he's looking like he's looking, uh, Nico Collins got hurt. So that's kind of like a wash. Brevin Jordan was inactive for a few weeks. So, they obviously handled him the right way to where he was ready to do what he's doing. And then Roy Lopez uh, was just an immediate contributor and he was already in the rotation. So it seems like there's like, it's a fluid process, which I think it always should be, but we're just not really used to that. And that's the most encouraging thing for me about Nick Casario is not only do you have rookies doing, you know, good things this late in the season, especially, you know, for where the Texans are in the process and, how much more encouraging that is there's different paths to which those guys got on the field. And that to me would be something that if I was a Nick Casario, you know, if I was looking at this organization and wondering about Nick Casario, I I don't think you really could have done a better job as an organization, as a staff uh, of bringing these guys along the the way that they have. Yeah. I mean, I I think like I still, I I think that when I look at the 2021 draft class, like it was going to be really hard to draft uh, pure, impact players given no first round pick no second round pick i'm still like reserving judgment on these guys because i think their rookie seasons have been promising but i'm not sure if i look at any of these individual players and said and say hey these are going to be you know one of the five or six best players on a roster that gets to the playoffs but it starts to kind of like establish a a foundation maybe these guys are like sort of not maybe not inner core players but like sort of that second core if you will and I just think that given the, the state of the roster heading into this season, where it was just just so rough, you want to see any signs of promise to where you can look at the 2022 offseason and say, okay, at least we have you know Roy Lopez as a solid run interior defender on a cheap contract for the next couple of years. Brevin Jordan, same thing. Uh, Davis Mills, obviously that's like a topic unto itself. Uh, Nico Collins. Yeah, I, I think it's just it, one of the critical things this season was – 
like the last time that we were we did this a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, how many of the of the twenty two starters that you're going to have the next time the Texans play a game that actually matters? Well, with some of these performances, you can say, okay, well, these guys can be part of that twenty two. Maybe not one of the three best guys out there, but like they can be in that twenty two, and it doesn't look as hopeless roster wise as it may have, you know, four months ago and even two months ago. Yeah, I think. I think I think both your points are right on that it it just gives a little bit of optimism gives you a little more confidence in in Casario as a as in making drafts and then it gives you confidence that the coaching staff will find ways to develop these players and give them whatever path they need you know like where Landry said where Brevin Jordan was inactive for six or seven games whereas Roy Lopez came on strong in the preseason and has been a you know a heavy usage rotational defensive tackle since week one so every player kind of will come into their own in their each way and it seems like Houston really kind of identified that and was able to figure out who who is ready and when and it it seems to have maximized their performance and, and shown some positivity out of those players. So that part gives me a little confidence, not only in Casario, just in the players that they're drafting, but how they're bringing them along within the organization and making sure that they're not either just rushing them to the field or keeping them back for too long because they're a rookie, like, you know, like some of the former regime would do. So that whole rookies don't know anything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, that part gives you know it gives a little excite and you know and just it kind of I know I don't like to jump that far ahead of the draft but it gives you a, a little excitement to think well if he was able to do that with that limited amount of assets what's the potential when the first round and the second round picks are back and potential more depending on what happens in the offseason. so that part's going to be you know very exciting for the fans we're going to you know we we didn't really ever look at any mock drafts per se because there was no, you know, first or second round pick. So, you know, the team will be back in that heavy rotation discussion and the discussion on trade back and what can be done and what the team's going to do. So that part is going to be really exciting going forward. Yeah. And I will say it is going to be a different situation because I've heard, you know, and I'm a Casario guy, Casario is the scenario, blah, blah, blah. But it is different drafting, you know, in the top five than it is, drafting davis mills because whatever i whatever we thought about davis mills and look he was bad uh in training camp i didn't have any problem with taking him there in the third round i I thought it was worth the roll of the dice that it's it's going to be a completely different situation for casario when he's drafted in the top five and i've heard his like new england history mentioned first of all i don't he didn't have final say but second of all i think it's much different drafting uh in new england than it is in houston with where you are right now you always hear well yeah you know in new england they did this dude yeah in new england they're like they they're they're literally drafting for need for the most part in new england so it's it's a little bit different than he's doing here so i don't know if i'm like optimistic uh per se like because i think it is a different situation but i think that to go to what melt said and melt you basically said in no certain terms like you you don't want to like crown davis mills or any of these guys and these guys could fall off i agree with you like we've seen guys you know early on show signs and then you know they kind of fall off but i would say the best potential realistic conversations that i could be having about every single one of these draft picks so far i think i'm having those 
if that makes sense. Like the best case scenario for Mills, the best case scenario for Brevin Jordan, the best case scenario for Nico. I feel like even with all the uncertainty, I think it's it looks pretty much as good as it possibly could if if you factor in like the the, the realistic expectations you laid out for them when they were selected. Yeah, I think that's a hard thing to disagree with um, because especially when you and it's it's so important to look at like percentages and where those guys were picked. Like you look at round three, like Seth and I used to talk about this all the time. You look at first round picks and this is going to be pretty generic and cap might have like more uh, down to the percentage numbers, but like, let's say 50% of the picks hit in round one. Uh, Let's say it's like 33% in round two In round three, it's a quarter of the picks. So that's how you have to evaluate Nico Collins. Not like, Hey, is Nico Collins as good as, you know, Justin Jefferson or somebody like that. But to look at it realistically and say, Hey, if Nico Collins is a legitimate starting NFL receiver for you know five or six years, that is a hit when it comes to the third round. If Roy Lopez sticks around here as a solid rotational player for a couple of years, as a you know six round pick, like that is a hit. It does like those players don't have to be Pro Bowlers for uh, those to be hits. And I just think it's important given the state of the roster. And honestly, the guy who I'm more who I'm most optimistic about wasn't even out there on Sunday, which is Grenard, because of what he's done this year and the fact that he plays uh, a really premium position. It, it's like, I, I just, I, I thought for the first time all year on Sunday, for the first time, and Landry may disagree with this, maybe I'm going a little ahead of myself. For the first time on Sunday in a long time, I look at the Texans and I'm like, am I sure the Giants situation is any better than this? Like, I, I feel like Dude, they got swagger. Happened. Like, if we're being honest, they, they, for some reason, like even the defense, like the way they're acting after they make plays and all that, like there, there is like a certain amount of of swagger out there that you haven't really seen all season long. And, and obviously, it's probably easier to look that way when you're playing the Chargers. But it does just seem like there's like a little bit more confidence and a little bit more swagger just with even some of these like guys that we considered plug and play like the Smiths and, and, and all that. Like, they, 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 there seems to be a little bit more, like, they look, they, they look like a professional football team. I mean, I don't, Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if any – I don't know if I'm stealing this I mean, from I'm somebody. laughing, but – Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'm stealing this from somebody or I, like, read it and I'm combining it with my own thought, but, like, one could make the argument that the Texans, like – How do, do you not know if, if you're stealing something, Mike? I got I, I to gotta stop you there. What do you mean you don't – I might be stealing this. It's a weird – it's been a weird week. But if you all right, so you take an you take an NFL roster and you got fifty three guys on on the active roster, right? So if you kind of divide it like one through twenty five, the Texans probably have the worst roster in the NFL. Like just one through twenty five, because your standouts are like Brandon Cooks, Laramie Tunsil. Like most teams are gonna have a better one through twenty five, but twenty six through fifty three, uh, given some of the depth they seem to be building. Uh, it actually, you're like, okay, th- this looks like a credible 26 through 53. And it felt like they won the game on Sunday, largely because of the depth that they've been able to sort of develop behind the scenes. And I guess on the field the last couple of months. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of seem that seems to be the arguing point for chargers fans that I've seen on chargers. Twitter is that, uh, we, we are out, you know, four pro bowlers and stuff. Well, the Houston had a ton of players out on, on COVID as well. So it makes yes. it, it almost makes it seem like Houston's depth was better than the Chargers' depth is basically the way I took it. I mean, I, I don't know. I I, I just yeah. think I, I think there's just more of a drop off from what they were missing than from what the Texans are. I mean, I, I watched some of these guys, and I'm like, especially on the O line, I'm like, why the hell were these guys playing more 
to begin with. Like, yeah, that that's the thing I wonder. And that's the thing I want to see moving forward uh, starting Sunday. Like, as you get some of these guys back, whether it's Justin Britt or, you know, some of the other guys on the O-line, let the guys let let the guys play against uh, a, 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 a more healthy San Francisco team that has to win to get in the playoffs as well on the road and just see what you got. Because I do wonder, like, that, that was these, one of my questions was what that was one of my questions on here was like someone like Cole Toner. Did he does does his performance say give him more time these last two games to see what you yes. have in him? Because you know what you have in Max Sharping, you know what you have in Justin McCray. And yep. you know, and Howard's not at guard anymore. So what is the what is the downfall of letting of giving Toner another shot? Because I mean, he he had a couple of mistakes, but there was times where his run blocking was far exceeding anything that we've seen out of guards from the interior. And Jimmy Morrissey, I'm still kind of iffy on him, but I, I don't think he's any worse than Britt at this point. So, I mean, I agree. I mean, it, this Chargers were only bringing four majority of the time, which blew my mind. Why? They would do that. I mean, you don't have yeah. Bosa out there to help you when you're when you're rushing for. So they brought four so often. They didn't bring much more than – I mean, Mills, when I was looking at the numbers, was kept clean on 90, 93% of his dropbacks, which is just a crazy number, especially for a Houston offensive line. And we, leaving Mills in a clean pocket is get, which will, is what allowed him to do what he did this weekend. So I'm not saying that this offensive line was just – amazing but i mean the chargers had a you know they weren't bringing as many blitzes in which led to the clean pockets but at this point there's really no downfall to letting some of these backup players play going forward these last two games to see what you have because at this point you know where you stand with those veterans you need to have some evaluation just like what we've been talking about with evaluation of howard at left tackle yeah and i think there's context clues that they might be better players I mean, it's it's not even about you know just get this guy experience. Like I I think there's context clues that they might be better players. Like what? I think it, uh, like on the like on the O line. Like the it, I, I I would I would run back that same O line next week, honestly. Like and and I'm 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 even including like I, Titus. Like Titus can Titus can sit out too. Like I just well, I, I don't I, I, I don't agree. With, I don't well, agree fine. with that. But but yeah. I'm just saying but like the rest I, of it, I, yes. I, I, I think that there's, there's context clues that maybe these guys are better. Like, and you know, we can say what Los Angeles was, but I mean, some of these guys, they, they might just be better players. Uh, and yeah, I, 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 I want to see, I want to see more, uh, in a, in a non-judgmental way. Like I'd love to know what the coaching staff makes of that. Like I know the chargers have been awful in their front seven stopping the run this year, but like the jets have been even worse and the Texans couldn't run on them a month ago. So, like, that to me is the real mystery is how they had this offensive line of, like, complete journeymen with Rex Burkhead toting it uh, 22 times and they were basically <laughs> dominant. Like, even though the Chargers are awful, like, I, I recognize some of the names, like, in the front seven. Like, they still have Covington and Tranquil and Tillery and some of these guys. Like, these are Covington. legitimate yeah, NFL Christian players. Yeah, Christian Covington's out there Covington. making plays, Yep. <laughs> Former six you, might be proving, you might be proving Chargers Twitter's point with that Covington. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I wonder if there was anything schematically wise that that they did differently. And, you know, I, I just I haven't looked hard enough. I'll have to wait for some other folks that put the tape out there to see if they did anything different or if this was just a better performance by the offensive line to, to break these types of runs that 
Burkhead was able to get this, you know, this on this Sunday. I mean, the, the, the lanes were big. You know, I don't think Burkhead was running any harder than he would any other week. But, I mean, some of these lanes that the running backs haven't seen those kind of lanes all kind of years. So it really makes me wonder, was it – did they do anything different or was just a straight-up better performance by the players on the field? They weren't Maybe ready for that both. unprotected Rex. They weren't ready for that unprotected well, Rex, man. <laughs> well, uh, David Cully, for what it's worth, did say after the game that, like, hey, oh, for what it's worth, lost. for what it's worth, like, well, he, yeah, for what it's worth, I mean, he was basically like, like, yeah, we were executing the plays a lot better than we have all been right. all season. All that's right. what he said. That's what they, that's all straight right. from the mouth of the head coach. So, so yeah, come on, I know. Oh, God, execute, execute, execute. I mean, do you, I mean, do you? Uh, it feels like they were executing better. Now, this is uh, again, this is a running game. That no, it doesn't feel like like they did. They, but when when the Texans say execute, and, and I'm not I'm not like trying to minimize when every coach says execute, but with, with the way that they talk about the run game, it almost seems like they're just talking about result. Like you know, so obviously, like based on that, they obviously executed more, but. I I don't know that he that there's anything like deep that that he means when he's talking about execute like schematically. I think it's block them better, run better. Boom, 150 yards. We did better. Yeah, no, but I, that's the question is is what did they do better? Did they scheme it up better? Did they have more split zone versus pulling pulling guards and pulling tackles? Was it or was I think it they just, just straight kicked up? Their ass. That's what I I'm saying. Was it just straight ass. up these guys perform better and? And that's, I also that's the thought there it. was kind of a there was kind of a sleepwalk vibe by the Chargers too that I thought was there was one pathetic. like yeah there was one that that well, I, I I saw Burkhead I can't remember if it was when he scored the touchdown or not but he went out on on the edge and Asante Samuel Jr. just like yeah. just like kind of pushed him I out think, it like had zero <laughs> effort and it just looked like I, like I'm here that's about it and i think I, I and i don't i don't mean this is bad because i think you know there've been times where this where teams have been able to do this i think the chargers thought they were just going to show up and be able to handle their business uh and, mm, and there wasn't going to be like any pushback because yep. uh i i mean you're putting derwin james on the sidelines in a uniform and you're saying emergency situation what what the hell is an emergency situation like uh, everyone dies like i, I don't i didn't understand that like seemed like you that you know, you you need to win the game to get in to, to basically get in the playoffs, avoid falling down eleven. I, I felt like there was kind of even Brandon Staley, like I mean, they were kicking. There were a couple times earlier in the season where those two field goals that he kicked earlier uh, earlier on, they go for it against other teams, you know. And it, they they just yeah. it just seemed like Good they point. were kind of they were playing different because against Kansas City in the similar situation, they went for it, and Staley said, you know, when we play Kansas City, we know we got to score touchdowns. And I, I felt that there was a little bit, and this is not to take anything away from the Texans, because I think there's been probably 10 weeks this year where you could have that mindset and come in here and get away with the dub. Uh, but I did feel like the Chargers, and maybe this is Brandon Staley as a rookie coach, maybe this is just overcome. Hell, maybe it's just, you know, they've watched the same stuff that we watched. I think they thought they were just going to come in here and get the job done. I don't think Burkhead and the Texans were really having that. Yeah, I think that's right, and I mean that's why I thought I'm not trying to like glorify this win. I was actually nervous about coming inside being like a little bit too negative, considering that they played well on Sunday. But like well, I like Landry's got you beat on that, so that that is true. That that's a hard one to top. That, that, that was wrong with y'all. Y'all are mean, man. <laughs> we we all saw the Chargers and the way they played against the uh, Chiefs like two Thursdays ago. The team that showed up that night, 
Uh, I don't think it's overstating it to say, like, I think that I think the team that showed up that night could have, like, beaten any team in this conference. Like, that's that's how well they can play when they hit their ceiling. And I understand that having James out's a big deal. And well, that's Eckler what happened. But if you go Mike back to Williams, the KC, Melty, that's what happened, though, because there yeah, are James some went players, out. Yeah. yeah, there are some yep. players that are just like, it's more than just one guy. Like, th- they were beating the crap out of the Chiefs. And then all of a sudden, yep. when James left, the Chiefs started – Running the ball better. Travis Kelsey went for like 200 yards or whatever. Like there are some guys who are just that important to a team to where you can't even explain it no matter, you know, how many injuries the other team has. Oh, I think that's a valid point. All right. So just jump in here real quick. So, you know, if you want to ask any questions, hit that uh, request button on the bottom left of your screen. We'll try to get to as many questions as we can tonight. If you don't want to, speak and you want to send me a question you can just send me a question over dms my dm on twitter is open so if you want to ask your question that way feel free and i know slide on in those dms it works it works well they usually (laughs) get a lot of questions that way some just ask him just ask him about money he's got you covered (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness um okay so where the hell were we so golly lost my place so going forward, how how do you address the quarterback position for 2022 at this point? Is I mean, how much resources do you allocate? How much of investment do you make at the position going forward next year? The, me, the same. Go ahead, Melcy. Sorry, I'm just going to say real quick, Landry. Uh, I would say I would. I, I would do the conventional wisdom, which is I would start Davis Mills. I'd bring in some other quarterback to be. Uh, the backup, and I, I just think it makes a lot of sense. I, I think the Texans, from a quarterback position, Davis Mills right now is kind of like where Jalen Hurts was for Philadelphia a year ago, where he has shown enough improvements to where you can look at next season and say, this is a viable option for us to start next season, given that he's young, we drafted him, he's on a rookie deal, it makes a lot of sense for us as a rebuilding team to start him and see what he's got. He's gone this season from basically unplayable to a very playable quarterback. We'll see what happens over the last two. And given that, you know, and I was listening to uh, Albert Breer on, on Ryan Rossillo's podcast. Like, I, I've gotten to the point where I think, I actually think that this quarterback class in 2022, it's going to be like a 2013 quarterback class. Ooh. Where like, I don't think anyone's going top five. I don't think it's, I don't think anyone's going top 10. I think, I think, I think Kenny Pickett and Matt Corral will both go somewhere in the middle of the, of the first round. I don't think anybody is reaching for a quarterback in the top five, and therefore the Texans can wait. They can start Davis Mills. That's what I would do. Yeah, I think I think you I think it's Mills competing with a veteran, and I actually think it's pretty appealing because I think you're in a position to where you're gonna you might be able to have dibs on any top backup because I think a lot of there might be like some top backups that look at this situation and say, you know, I can compete with Davis Mills. So I think yep. I think you make I don't think you name Mills the starter. I, I think you have him compete uh you know with one of these top back Andy Dalton like guys. I'm not I'm not saying like, you know, like the like a Nick Foles, Andy Dalton type, like have him compete with with someone in that type of tier. Not Tarod Taylor, like the the, the Tarod Taylor types, but have him compete. I don't think Sunday's game had any difference on, on on my thoughts there because i think reaching for a quarterback in the first round by the texans would have been ridiculous even if davis mills threw eight interceptions on sunday uh just because of what Meltzer just said but i think you bring in a bring in a veteran uh and you compete 
uh, Davis Mills. I think you kind of behind the scenes, you want Davis Mills to win that competition, uh, but you bring someone in and push him a little bit so that we're talking about, you know, Davis having to earn it. Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at at this point is you're not going to invest anything on, on the first round or the second round. Maybe you look at something in the third round, depending on where, where players are ending up at. But at this point, yeah, I mean, you're looking at Marcus Mariota, you know, I think Bridgewater. I think Bridgewater is going to be out of the price range. I don't think. I think he's going to be looking for a starting position again. But you're going to have the same type of price tag. You know, that four to five, six million dollar price tag for a viable backup option if if Mills goes backwards instead of going forwards, going forward in 2022. So, yeah, I think we're all in on agreement on that at this point, and just have to see how things go these last two games. Looks like we got one request in here from. Uh, Nathan, so we'll send rights over to him. So it's connecting. Nathan, you're on mute, man. Go ahead and take yourself. There you go. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, sir. Yes. All right, so hey, thanks for always doing this, man. Always look forward to Tuesday nights. I appreciate you guys taking the time. Uh, I got two questions. The first one is, do you guys know what the record is for illegal formation penalties in a season? Because we got to be getting close to it. <laughs> and uh, on a serious question, um, the special teams have been pretty solid all year. And especially the last couple of weeks have been really good. I didn't know if that's something you guys had noticed too. Uh, it's definitely a nice change for the past couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, it's great to see, you know, Tremont Smith bringing those back. They, you know, they, they started out with a completely different group of returners. You know, they had the Andre Roberts experiment that was a complete failure and then found <laughs> Tremont Smith that, you know, has turned out to be a viable uh, special teams player and not a cornerback. He is just too small. He just got beat up out there this, you know, this weekend playing, playing on the edge. But, I mean, it the team, you know, New England – in their days when Casario was up there, they valued special teams just as just as much as the other two phases of the game, and that was part of their roster building techniques. Where they had a glut, of, a strong middle class of the roster, not a, not a top cap heavy type roster. So, I think that's where you're kind of seeing that same mentality come over here. That's why you're seeing the extensions with those type of players, and going forward, I think that's just going to be another another key piece that they're going to be uh, taking a look at. But, you know, the only back – I mean, Cam Johnson, he was close in getting to the Pro Bowl, but it's just unfortunate when you see Brian Anger get voted into the Pro Bowl after we had him here. But <laughs> Your guy. Your guy. You were you were measuring his hang time I the know. first time. I know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, but overall, the special teams has done well. I mean, are they top of the league? No, but it, they are – like you said, they are making improvements week over week. And that's just something that just takes time to kind of mold, especially with the amount of turnover they've had through the roster as they kind of figure out who's going to be that special teams core. That's where you're finally starting to see the core come together week over week, and it's finally starting to make some sense out there for them. I'll be fair, though. I thought Brad Seeley had some pretty good special teams years, though, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I, I want to yeah. say he did okay a few – Special teams, I think, outperformed the offense and defense a couple of times, DVOA-wise, uh, with Sealy. So I, I'll, I'll be fair to him on that. The illegal procedure penalties, I thought that was interesting. Um, I thought the turning point of the game against the Chargers, 
100% was at the end of the second quarter when the Texans were just discombobulating at almost like a what the hell is this level where you had the multiple procedure penalties, uh, you had the uh, the timeout uh, inside the five. Uh, I think it was second down in like 13, and they seemed content with just punting to San Diego or San Diego, Los Angeles uh, down two. But they had that defensive holding penalty uh, the Chargers did, and then the Texans ended up scoring at the end of the half. I thought that was kind of interesting, but there have been a lot of procedure penalties. Farrell Brown is kind of turning into this year's Tunsil. Uh, <laughs> when it comes to penalties. <laughs> yeah. And yep, uh, I'm, I'm, go- I, I'm looking at NFLpenalties.com and just kind of going back through each season. And Houston actually led the league in illegal formation penalties in 2019 with seven. They're currently at five <laughs> this year. Cleveland is leading with six this year. So I'm going back just year over year. It looks like six or seven has pretty much been the, uh, been the high number going back so you know if you if you want to dive into it a little bit further there is a website uh nflpenalties.com that that tracks all that stuff you know that's pretty it's a pretty good pretty good website because i remember when we were looking at the the tunsil uh false starts from from uh two years or last year or two years ago i can't remember but uh you know that was a place so that's one resource you can take a look at nathan yeah, I don't have a hugely strong take on this other than to say, I mean, I, I was looking at some of the numbers of uh, the DVOA. Uh, uh, Landry's right. Brad Sealy did a nice job. They regressed a little bit last year. They're up to they're actually up to ninth this year overall in special teams, and they're sixth in the weighted average, which means that they've been playing better recently. And the two best units, not surprisingly, have been the punts and the kickoff returns. Uh, this Bill Burr-like uh, punter they have, Johnston, I, I like his work. Uh, I think he's done a really nice job. And uh, I'd like to see, you know, a, maybe a more dynamic punt returner next year or just as they build this thing. But, yeah, I think overall, like, the special teams is probably the least of their concerns. And with the roster, the way it's uh, assembled this year, it's not a surprise that to me that they ended up having a good year on special teams. Are you, are you going to – are we going to continue paying Fairbairn that uh, top five contract next year or do you think he's gone? <sighs> Uh, I mean, I he's mean, turned it on. The, he's turned it about, on the last three or yeah, four weeks. He he has turned it on. I have to admit, like when when Collie attempted that obscenely long, like whatever it was, sixty whatever it was, sixty four yards. Yeah. I was like, are you? Yeah, I, I was like, are you kidding me? Like this guy can't make a sixty two yarder, and, and then he freaking makes it. Like that was bizarre. Uh, I feel like because he just keeps sort of existing here, and he has turned it on the last like six weeks. I'll say that they probably will keep him in twenty twenty two. Nathan, you got anything else, man? No, nah, man. Thank you, guys. You guys have a happy new year. All right. Thank you, sir. Let's see. We go. Remove from speakers. Yes. All right. Got a bunch of requests in here now. Ryan. We'll go Ryan first, then we'll go Chuck, and then uh, Eduardo. We'll, go, we'll hit you after that. And then Nay. I see you just kicked in there as well, so. We'll get Ryan Crossingham, veteran listener. Yes. Ryan. How's it going? How's it going, boys? Good. You doing What's okay? What's going on, buddy? Ryan? Yeah. See, that was so, a fear. How's it going right there? I'm like Meltzer and Jack. Thank you. <laughs> I believed him. Fair. So, uh, I mean, for me personally, I'm just ready for the season to be over because I'm excited for the draft. The last two years, the draft has just been 
depressing for me us having no picks. And uh, obviously, it kind of looks like the team's not going to be able to get their hands on Thibodeau or Hutchinson being kind of locked into three or high or lower down. So I know Landry kind of wants Neil. Um, me and Mike had a quick you know, talk on Twitter about uh, Hamilton. That's kind of where I'm leaning. But one of my concerns with maybe retaining Lovey um, after this year, which we should, in my opinion, um, you know, I'm not an expert on cover two or cover three, but I feel like players like Hamilton or, you know, the kid from LSU that they may not necessarily fit Lovey's system, so to speak, that you might be wasting their talents in that kind of scheme. I just kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on looking at the draft. Where do you kind of want to see the team going forward? And right now, and this is this is very early. I yes, I like Kyle Hamilton if they stay at three. And I know that safety is not a premium position. Uh, but I just think that if you have somebody – but I think a safety can be a premium player like we're talking about with Derwin James. Like that's a premium player. And maybe third isn't ideal to use that kind of pick. But like you look at that guy's size. Like he's a big player. He's fast. He's physical. He can actually cover unlike somebody like Jamal Adams. Like if Jamal Adams goes sixth in the NFL draft, um, is it crazy to pick a guy third who's a safety if he's a really good player? And I would say as far as Lovey goes, like I think Lovey has exhibited, at least to my amateur eye, more sort of schematic flexibility, uh, especially as the season has gone along, than I originally anticipated. You know, Lovey's done a nice job. And I just think that like they're going to need to improve the talent level back there in the secondary. So that's kind of where, that, that's where I would lean right now. Uh, I reserve the right to change my opinion just because it's, you know, it's so many months away. And so if like, if Kyle Hamilton ends up being more consensus, like seven or eight, then it wouldn't make a lot of sense to, to pick him at three, but that's where I'd be leading right this second. For me, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as Landry, you know, to me, it's, it's Neil or you trade back and, that kind of just depends on what happens with Tunsil at this point. So if Tunsil's traded, then I'm perfectly fine with taking Neil and moving Howard back to right tackle, but I'm not completely sold on the safety. But to me at that point, if, if Tunsil's still here and he's going to remain here, then you, you're not going to get the, the King's ransom just because of the nature of this draft. But I still think Casario is going to very much look at the option of just acquiring more darts versus keeping that high draft pick. And it also depends on what comes, what comes, what comes with if Watson, if the Watson trade comes along as well and where, where things sit with that, but we'll just take that part out of it, keep it in a vacuum. And and that's where I'm thinking the trade back is probably more likely unless Neil is there. Yeah. And I also wonder to, to Ryan's like, uh, so part of his question, you know, I I wonder how much they're really going to factor in scheme, uh, when drafting someone uh, in the draft, because I don't know how married they are to Lovey's scheme, if that makes sense. Because uh, how much longer is Lovey going to be here? I don't know. I, I, but if they do think that, you know, Hamilton's like a generational type talent, I don't know how much they're. I mean, who know, who knows what defensive scheme they'll be running two years from now or whatever. So I don't think that that would shy them away from from bringing him in. Uh, like like it would if say you know if we were talking about you know someone that was like a, a coach that you expected to be around a little bit longer. But I, I agree. I agree. Bringing that Lovey, I think Lovey's done a Lovey's done about as good of a job as you can. I mean, I jeez. Yep. And you it's I mean extremely extremely self sufficient. You know, Coley's not 
yeah. walking across the office to talk to Smith about what he's going to do. And, <laughs> and you, and you see, and you see the changes that Smith is doing. He's, he's bringing more stunts, more variation, more hiding coverage. You know, that seemed like the first half of the year, it was very vanilla, just execute your, your party of your assignment and the, the defense will be, will do well. And now that, it's like almost like the team like graduated. It's like, okay, you've done this part. You've learned to play your position. You executed the simple plays. Let's take it to the next step and create some variation, some hidden coverages, play a little different, little different style, and then boom, we're starting to see a little more improvement. So, you know, from there, we'll just see what happens. But definitely Lovey Smith should be back. And on top of that, I think he should be back because if the team decides to keep Cully for 2022, Lovey would easily slide in as as interim head coach if something were to change midway through 2022 with Cully. One, I have nothing against the idea of taking a tackle at three or four wherever they end up. But the only thing I ask, whether it's Evan Neal, I know that people like the tackles from NC State and Mississippi State <laughs> respectively. I just want a plan. I don't want this whole like, hey, we're gonna start somebody off at guard or like this or that, or we're gonna like Bill, we're gonna have the, the best five man combination every single Sunday. Like I want if you're taking an offensive lineman in the top five, I want a long range plan with both that player and the rest of the offensive line. That is the only thing that I request. Yeah, if you if you draft a tackle then put him in ding tackle, it's not rocket science. Yes. Yeah, I mean that that whole rotation I mean it it. I'm confident that it that stunted Howard's growth at some point with the amount of yes. moving around that he's had to do. And he says all the right things and, you know, but I, I know at the end of the day, Howard wants to be a tackle. He should be a tackle. He does better in space and quite honestly, tackles get paid more than guards. So I know from a financial standpoint, he would rather be a tackle as well. Landry, do you have anything? You're being awfully quiet. Yeah, I I mean, I uh I agree with you on Titus. I think I think Titus Howard I, I think he's a tackle, man. Like I I, I just I, I think he's a tackle and I think they just need to play him at tackle. Uh but other than that, man, I was just letting you guys go. I had to uh actually do some shuffling in here if I'm being honest with you. Uh, there are people kind of, there are people I don't even know what that means, but fair I don't, yeah, there, there there are people there are people talking to me, so I uh, had to shuffle a little bit. Okay, fair enough. Ryan, you got anything else, man? I was just going to say, you know, people talk about the position that you're supposed to take a high in draft and everything, and then I see all these rankings where, you know, you got a safety and then probably a center, that Iowa kid. They're saying, you know, these two are two can't-miss guys. So, I mean, depending on what happens with the Watson deal, you know, I wonder how mad the fan base would be if they ended up, say, you know, with Hamilton and, and the Iowa kid, a center and a, and a safety. I, to me, I'd be actually okay with it because, you know, they're just so talent-deprived on the roster. But it would just be interesting to see the fan base react. I, I, I know. You, you, I know. You can't go I don't want to jump point. to that. Go ahead, Mike. Say real quick, I, I think the kid from Iowa, Tyler Linderb- Linderbaum, I think he's a stud. Like, I, I think that's somebody like you draft him, he will be your center for the next like 12 years, and he is going to be one of those like team captain. Like, you hope he's Quentin Nelson. Now, I'm not going to advocate drafting him at number three because he's a center, but like, if you get multiple picks out of a Watson trade, that is absolutely somebody who. After their first pick, I would love if they pick that guy. That guy is a is an anchoring like 
future franchise caliber interior offensive line. Right. You now. look at you look at some of the most impactful you know picks that have been made. I'll, I'll go the last twelve years, and these are like under the radar, not like the obvious like game changers. But when an offensive lineman just falls in your lap, and you just take what falls in your lap, many times it's just transitioned the entire makeup of a football team. Uh, you go back to the Cowboys when they drafted Travis Frederick in the first round; like people were criticizing that, but that's a guy who's a five-time Pro Bowler. And when they when they improved that offensive line, he was a big part of it. Quentin Nelson to the Colts; everybody knew that he was the best player in the draft, but he just fell in their lap. And then you had the same thing with uh, with Zach Martin with the Cowboys as well. Like, if, if guys like that can just fall into your lap, it's not the sexiest thing. And, and I know some people will, like, you know, be kind of freak out because it's an interior lineman and not a tackle because we look at tackles so different. But a lot of times, if you have that, if you get another pick for Deshaun Watson or something like that and you're sitting there at nine and that guy falls in your lap, it, it's, it's, it's as transitional of a thing that can happen as anything else uh, especially when you're trying to kind of change the identity or football team and get tougher in the trenches. Yeah, at this point, the team has so many areas to improve that that I mean if that's the player that's there and and fits and will make a difference, then it doesn't matter at that point, in my opinion. Ryan, you got anything else, man? No, thanks. Appreciate all three of you. All right, thank you, buddy. All right. Let me remove him. We got a couple questions on DM as well. So Chuck and Eduardo, hang tight. I know Chuck will hang tight. So just hang tight. I get one. I got like four questions on DM. We'll look at one right here. So what is the actual? What is the team actually accomplishing? This is from James. Um, what is the team accomplishing by improving their record and losing draft position by getting a few wins? They're not going to be getting a quarterback in round one, but there are tons of very good DBs, and these wins are hurting their chances to land a potential franchise defensive player. So I would say to that, James, is due to the due to the early the early read on this draft, and a lot's going to change between now and, and April. But due to the the fact that there's just no huge huge game changers at the top of this draft, to me. The value at pick four all the way through probably 15 are near identical. And I think you're going to be able to find impact players at any of those slots. So I say I say that to say that an extra win to help the team build on something, for the organization to build on something, is fine, even if that means the team moves from pick three to pick six. That's just my opinion with this specific draft class, other draft classes, I, you know, that I would be clamoring for, you know, for a different opinion and, and trying to stay up towards the top of the draft, but this specific draft so far, things can change. It's, it's not as critical to stay up that high up in the draft, in my opinion. Yeah. I think this is one of those tough things because the team is obviously trying to win every Sunday. And like, if you look at these games that they won, like the, the, the game I thought they really won by accident was almost the Tennessee game because the Titans turned the ball over so often. But like if you look at both Jacksonville games and the game on Sunday, yes, the Chargers turned it over, but the Texans forced some of those plays. Like they just outplayed those teams. I mean, it's just, it, I, I know that it might sound kind of weird, but like I, I've rooted for, you know, losing organizations in the NFL for a while. Like it's actually hard to get the number one pick in the draft. Like it, it's a hard thing to do. Like it is hard to go out there every Sunday and lose every single week if these guys are actually trying. And the way I kind of analyze this draft, and, and this could change, 
But I think it really comes down to like, are you in the top two or are you not? Because I do think the conventional wisdom that Thibodeau and Hutchinson go one, two in some order, I, I think that is the case. So the benefit of falling in one of those top two slots is the Texans could have just taken one of those players, plug him opposite of Grenard, and all of a sudden, like, that right there can, like, really jumpstart your defense to go from, like, you know, nice overachieving story to genuinely building something next year. Now, because of falling to three, four, wherever they fall to, then you have some more decisions to make. But ultimately, like, in a year, as Cap mentioned, when there's no when there's no quarterbacks that they're going to be picking in those slots, like, I don't know what you're really asking the team to do. Like, they, like those guys are going out there every Sunday trying to put good, good film on, you know, earn their paychecks. And the team is still drafting high enough, especially with this win on Sunday, which didn't technically uh, change draft position, to where they still should have a lot of opportunities to add a cornerstone player, whether they pick three, four, or five. And let's be honest, it's early in the draft process. I mean, we have a pretty good idea what the names are, but someone, someone, we're going to fall in love with probably like seven different guys uh, between now and, and the draft. So we have, we have plenty of time. I, I don't see any like huge, huge difference between, you know, like you said, t- uh, Cap, four and eight uh, in that area. Uh, and, and I think I, I think there's there's just going to be a lot more guys, a lot more options that just fall on our lap. And this is the year for this to happen with uh, with the lack of quarterbacks too. So I'm I'm with Meltz on that. All right, we got I got one other question I want to look at from DMs before we get to Chuck because I think it'll be a quick one. What is what is the opinion on Tunsil for 2022? More value playing him or trying to move him? I think I think he's gone. I think trade is going to happen at some point in the offseason. Probably, I think we've talked about it on here before. You know, you're probably looking at like a high two for him or something like that. Maybe a future late one. But given the fact that he hasn't come back what was supposed to be a, a four-week injury and then Coley saying it was a par- partially a personal decision, it just – all the indications, all all the flags are up that that he's not going to play another down for for Houston, and and he'll he'll get traded, and that'll be that. It'll be it it'll be good return, but it'll be crappy return in the eyes of a lot of fans based on what they gave up for him, based on the the contract they gave up for him. Yeah, I just think, and and I tweeted this on Sunday. Like to me, I have nothing against investing in offensive line. Like we just talked about the possibility of taking a guy at three or four. When I look at this Texans team, I cannot tell a discernible difference when Laramie Tunsil is in the game, whether he's out of the game, whether other starters are in or other starters are out. It seems like it makes no difference. And I know that like, it, it, there's almost a cognitive dissonance that people have because – and this is not just a Texans thing. Like Miami has invested a bunch into their offensive line. It sucks. Uh, and so there's not always that correlation between investing a whole lot in the offensive line and it being a good offensive line and it really leading to a winning product. Like, for a rebuilding team, I just don't think that you need a, you need a star pass-protecting left tackle. And I thought Matt Weston did a really good job when he had that cut-up of, like, hey, you know that Brandon Cooks play that won the Jacksonville game or clinched it a week ago? Like, here are three examples of Laramie Tunsil blowing that block where freaking Garen Christian is able to make that block. Like, I, I know that's a microcosm and only one particular play, but I look at that and I'm like, I would rather take the resources invested into Laramie Tunsil and put it into like a cornerstone player in the front seven or even on the back end on defense. I just think it makes more sense 
for a rebuilding team at this point. And Jaron and Christian's got to be a re-signed candidate as a swing tackle, in my opinion. Land. Yeah, that's a given. But Tunsil, Tunsil's, I think Tunsil's gone. Like I'm, I'm with you. I, th- I think, I think Tunsil's gone. And I think Meltzer, you're right. I mean, you see it around the league. There are teams that that their left tackles out, and they don't even look like the same team. I know Kansas City had both tackles out in the Super Bowl. They don't even look like the same team. Cowboys with Tyron Smith, they don't even look like the same team. It seems like some of the most productive offensive days that the Texans have had have been without Tunsil for whatever reason. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. We'll uh, we'll jump over to uh, Chuck, and give him some speaking rights. I did get one question from Josh real quick. Uh, Landry, he wants to know why you sound like Lou Holtz tonight. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I sound. I don't know why I sound like Lou Holtz. I'm not sure. I don't know. <laughs> I think that might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but yeah. All Just, right. Uh, I'm not, I'm out here in the Oklahoma country streets, man. So. Hmm. Uh, oh, that's where you are. All right. Let's see. Yeah. All right. I got a flight at six. I'll be back on the air tomorrow. Oh, fair enough. All right, Chuck. What you got, man? Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. So, hey, Chuck. Hey, so I went from a little optimistic tonight, and also now I'm scared. I'm scared because I'm hearing uh, safeties and centers uh, with with a pick that high. I I I just don't understand when we could uh, have a safety or a center. I mean, I understand they're, they're studs, but, you know, it's I guess conventional wisdom says that basically the last time, you know, I, I can't imagine a, a, an impact safety. I can only name a few. And that being said, uh, I think we're in the position, in my opinion, that, you know, I, I, this is to me, this is a, this is a uh, two-year season for me. And what I mean by that is, I, I don't, like you said, it's all about the quarterback. I mean, what I think is all about the quarterback. So I'm all about trading down, trading out, and, and collecting picks because, like I said, we have two years. I'm afraid, and this is where I'm getting scared, because one game obviously can change the attitude of a franchise because we're all, we're all we're excited about this game, I guess. It was a great game. I was there. You know, we're, 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 we're still fans. But at the end of the day, the worst-case scenario for this team is to end up six and uh, 11 or, or, or seven and 10 next year and making choices. And then God forbid, I'm really scared that Coley's going to stay around for another year for this. So my, my, my question is, is what, what makes more sense for, for 23 to me, it doesn't make sense in 22, why we may have more draft capital if we do trade back and still get viable assets, because, Let's let's don't forget now these guys uh, on this staff and and I think um, I think Mike you and I kind of went back and forth about Titus Howard I'm I'm just not impressed I'm sorry I mean I get it but he's being moved around it's not by just O'Brien it's by this staff too granted they're not the best staffs but there's a reason he can't stick a tackle so I mean at the end of the day I, I just don't understand why we we really are looking not in, uh, as as I guess basically as onlookers I mean. Of course, as the president of the Nicosero fan club, this guy has done phenomenal. And and I think that this draft class here, if in two years or three years, we still have two or maybe three of these picks left, that's a good thing. But to be honest with you, I don't want to see more than two because he's going to have so many draft choices. So that being said, I mean, I mean, why are we discussing? Why are we really discussing more of a trade down situation? 
Well, I, I think it really, I think it kind of depends on obviously like just how the board falls. That's what I mentioned a, a few minutes ago. The, the way this draft looks, like if you're in the top two, then you can pick, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau or Aiden Hutchinson, you plug them in, and it's a, it seems like a pretty simple choice. Again, a lot of things can change from now until late April. But like past that, it's like, all right, if you want to go offensive line, you're going to have some options because every mock draft I look at has numerous offensive linemen. So they can do that. Um, people love Kyle Hamilton. They like Derek Stingley. Uh, Stingley scares me just because, you know, he had a broken foot this year. So he basically, he missed a lot of the season. I, I know Hamilton was, was hurt a little bit as well. Um, it's just like, I'm not against the idea of trading down, but it obviously takes two to tango. And I would just look at number three or four and, and wonder to myself, like, well, who exactly is trading up for a player at that spot? And why is it such a good idea for the team trading up to draft that player and not a good idea for the Houston Texans to select the same player that team would be drafting up for. I know that's kind of like a chicken or egg thing, but that's what I always think about. No, I think that I also don't think you're going to get near the return that you're going to get yes. like Ballard got from New York Jets when they traded up to, to draft Darnold. So that's sure. something that has to be factored in here is, is it, yeah, it takes two to tango, but also know the return's just not going to be near as strong as years past. I think that's the fun thing about Casario is we don't know like what his tendencies are going to be, what he's going to do in that situation. I mean, as far as a trade back or trade up, all that, I, I would have to see a layout of at least a draft order that's set in stone and then you know be able to connect some dots of who's going to be here. I don't think anyone, when the Texans have a first-round pick, uh, I don't think anyone's going to be like trading up for a quarterback. I don't even think these quarterbacks are that good to where someone's going to reach on you know, a corral or whatever uh, in the top 10. I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe someone falls in love with a left tackle, maybe like Cincinnati or something like that, or someone who needs offensive line. Maybe they fall in love with like a tackle, and, and maybe that's where you can get an extra one or something like that. But I think it's too early to even like, you know, talk about trading back or anything like that till we at least see, you know, what the draft order uh, looks like in, in the names and whatnot. Chuck, well, I mean, okay, so no, so so I mean, I, I hear that, and and this is why he's in charge, obviously. But at, at the end of the day, it's 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 all about the quarterback. So that's my biggest issue is that um, if we if you have a, 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 a you draft a tackle, a center, or or even on defense, I mean, look, they're they're even moving cornerbacks and safeties and back and forth. They got. They're, they're all over the place with what they're doing with their personnel, and it's not good for chemistry, obviously. But there's a method of the madness. I guess what I'm getting at is I, I'm very concerned that that uh, we're going to go ahead and win more games next year because of, of these moves, which is, which is good. But at the end of the day, we're going to end up in the middle of the pack again with less choices. And I understand, yeah, you're right, we, we, or both of you guys are right about, you know, you can't anticipate anything. You don't know how the, 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 the draft's going to follow. But I mean, it, it, we got to look forward as far as a quarterback. Um, and Davis Wilson did a fantastic job. Don't get me wrong. And Cap and I go back and forth about this, too. It's like, wow, man, this is, you know, I was really excited about just getting a quarterback at any part of this draft um, with everything with, with uh, Deshaun. But, but I mean, at the end of the day, are, I mean, can we definitively say he's a, he's a franchise quarterback? No. And we can't say yes. So we really got to get something in, in 23 and, and look forward thinking. I, that's just my opinion. Well, I, I certainly get get the concern that, you know, 
<laughs> this is the hard thing about rebuilding and uh, when you're looking at a roster that is deficient, shall we say, is you kind of wonder, like, all right, what's the right year where you want to go, like, all in and be like, all right, we, you know, want to win as many games as possible because this team can actually do something. Uh, like, if they end up winning, you know, six, seven games next year, then I think it just kind of, it, like, it, it is what it is. I, I sort of feel like if that happens, then there's some improvement in your young players, which is a good thing. But uh, let me put it this way. Like, I'm somebody who worries too much. Uh, in in life and in, in general, I, I wouldn't worry about that. I, I think you just have to like take it sort of off season by off season and just kind of see what happens. Like I don't know how we can realistically sit here and be worried about the win loss record being overly high next season. Like I can see where a Falcons fan right now might be like, "God, we've won like seven games this year, but we're actually a terrible team," and that might actually hurt us down the road. I, I understand that, but I wouldn't worry about that right now. The other thing I think you need to take into account is that you're going to get multiple firsts for Watson. So, you know, normally you trade back because you want to stack picks, you want to get equity. You're going to get you're going to get draft equity for Watson. So you're going to have that going for you as well. Yeah, and then, and that's my point. I guess basically is like, would it be so uh, so out of the um, I guess context to say when you get that. Uh, those picks back, and you're looking at 23. I mean, would it be unfathomable to say that hey, you'll trade, you know, your your two number one, uh, I guess your first round picks for a higher slot so you can get a better quarterback? I mean, of course, it's not out of the realm, but I mean, I just I just don't want to to go into the next year. Like I said, to me, it's a it's a it's a two year season, and the thing is, is once you get that quarterback to, and, it's, and we haven't even talked about the Coley thing. And if Coley's still around, then, you know, how are we going to, you know, like, like, you know, Mike's right, man. I'm a warrior too. But I mean, at the end of the day, Coley's not going to be here. He's not going to be here year three. No way. No, especially if you have a quarterback that needs to be further developed and who knows how long you can keep Pep Hamilton and, um, and, and those mentors for him, for Davis Mills. But at the end of the day, man, this has got to be, you know, one of the situations where we really got to, unfortunately, got to think that way and just say, hey, you know what? We got to look for a quarterback. And that's all I got, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chuck. I do think that the the offensive coordinator thing is an interesting thing to look at and just figuring out how the end to the season, the finish, will impact the coaching staff. Like, I know some of the guys in in, in the front office like Tim Kelly a lot. I know they like him. I know that Jack Easterby likes Tim Kelly a lot. Uh, I know that that Tim Kelly has pretty split approval ratings, to say the least, among the fan base. And I think there's the reality that, like, there are going to be so many NFL offensive coordinator jobs open this offseason that you would figure if Pep Hamilton is not, you know, elevated, that he would probably end up with one of those, if I had to guess. That is a good question. I was, I, I had that as another note is if we'll kind of jump, we'll kind of jump off at that point with Pep Hamilton is if Coley, if they move on from, from Tim Kelly, is the team, do you elevate Pep Hamilton? Or do you look for another offensive coordinator? Yes, I think you have to elevate Pep Hamilton. And I think uh, with the job that he did with Herbert and the job he's, you know, appears to be doing with Mills, having Mills where he's at right now, uh, I I wonder if other teams are going to look at this and say, you know, we want to give this guy an opportunity to be an offensive coordinator. And if the Texans are going to have to, you know, consider, you know, maybe you can still keep this same system, but you can let Pep Hamilton put his own wrinkle into it uh, elevating Pat Hamilton and letting Tim Kelly go. Uh, because the other thing that I'm keeping an eye on with the Casario thing is 
how is he married to this offensive system? Because there there are a lot of people who believe that this system is the problem with the run game, and this system is too difficult for offensive linemen and all that. And and I wonder, you know, Nick Casario was a big part uh, of this offensive system in New England for two decades. I mean, he was. This is what he knows. So I do wonder, like even post Coley, how married is he going to be to this system? And if he is married to it, I think elevating Pep Hamilton, just letting him put his own wrinkle. Uh, into what they already got going would be the way to go, but that would be my thing. I would I would make Pep Hamilton the uh, the offensive coordinator. Let him still work with Mills, and, and that would be my my mindset moving forward. If I were Casario, Mike, any thoughts? I have no issue with. I have no problem with elevating Pep Hamilton. Um, I'm probably not even qualified to to tell you at this moment. Like, hey, you know, who would I hire as offensive coordinator? I probably need to, need to like look at the resumes of guys who are possible and tell you, like, all right, I like this guy. This guy seems interesting. I think Fair that's enough. that's Fair probably enough. hard to yeah. That's probably tough to do in December <laughs> yeah. 2021. I I will say I didn't think that you know I I heard you know on Monday and I think Smitty said it and I think a couple others said you, you really got to give Tim Kelly props for Sunday. No, I don't think so. Uh, I think I think if I think if Rex Burkhead's running for 150 yards on 21 carries, I think Ray Charles could call plays. Like I I don't I don't think that Tim Kelly really, unless you can give me something specific that they did different. I I didn't see anything from Tim, Davis Mills dropping that dime at the end of the. Uh oh. Sounds like we lost Landry out in the middle of Oklahoma somewhere. <laughs> Has he disappeared <laughs> somewhere just, in the Oklahoma streets? Yes, he is. <laughs> Out in the middle of, out in the middle of Oklahoma, and I think I think he was, I think he was probably referring to the Chris Conley touchdown where Mills even stated that that was a designed run or a designed uh, underneath yeah. route, and that he chose to just go to Conley hoping he would get the one on one and and win the battle. So I think that I, I'm assuming that's the point he's referring to is the fact that your own quarterback is having to go to a vertical route that really wasn't part of the play or wasn't the initial read on the play to, to continue getting that vertical offense going. Cause that's where Mills, he does well at throwing the vertical yeah, routes. He, he just, it's, a, he it amazes me that that Kelly has not incorporated that as much. So we got, uh, let's see what he says here. Did we drop? No, we did not. He, uh, we'll get over here. To but, by the way, go ahead. What, one, one very quick thing cap on Mills is, uh, I like to whenever I, I look at quarterbacks and how they played. I always like to check a couple things, like what their passer rating is relative to their QBR. And Davis Mills's QBR was pretty high. Uh, there's a guy I follow on Twitter named uh, Chase Stewart. Yeah. I don't know if you do as well, but but so he has not every Sunday. Sometimes Fo- he's lazy. Is, football with ch- is that yeah. football chase? Yeah, football chase. Yeah. He puts up like a chart of quarterbacks which has their uh, adjusted net yards per attempt and their value, which I think might be like the best stat for actually evaluating quarterbacks every Sunday. In that stat, Davis Mills was had the second best performance of anybody in the league. Joe Burrow was number one. I actually like no matter how you break it down in the conventional stats, the counting stats, the advanced stats, the efficiency, like Davis Mills played a high level football game on Sunday. Yeah, that's I mean QBR seems to be a, a fairly a fairly strong stat stat to figure out the assessment of, of the quarterback and, you know, he's doing well, he's moving up in that category. And it, it's, it's a, uh, a good way to, 
to it, QBR looks at the whole game plan, whereas you know passer rating yes. is a kind of a flawed stat where QBR looks at the whole game. So Landry, can you, you're back in? So hopefully you can hear us this time. Yeah, I'm back. I uh, thought maybe there was like uh, a Tim Kelly like thing, like no. censorship or something. No, like he zapped you out no. of here. Y'all become y'all become Tim Kelly truthers to where if I don't say he's uh, Bill not. Walsh, we then not. We I just not. lose my <laughs> speaking not. privileges. We are not, and and I, I keep scanning the 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 guest list to make sure that to see if Jack Easterby shows up again, but he has not. So, all right, let's go over to Eduardo. He's been patiently waiting forever. So it says connecting Eduardo. Hi, right, thank you. Thank you, guys. So I, I guess uh, it's just a two-part question or comment. I know that we all probably see um, holes in every single position group that we have, but could it be that the wide receiver groups stay intact if we were able to resign Conley and Chris Moore to join Dorset Cooks and Collins? And then my second part, the second part of that question is, could you elaborate a little bit on on the Cooks contract? I know there's voidable years in there. Could you elaborate a little bit about how exactly those those years work? Yeah, sure. So on, on the Brandon Cooks part, so when they restructured his contract, they added a void, you know, they added a year and set up some void years in it for to prorate the money out a little bit. So his contract right now is scheduled to void 15 days before the 2023 year, league year starts. So that's generally around March 17th, March 17th, March 18th. So his contract would, at this point, void around March 2nd, making him a free agent, start at the 2023 league year, and then will leave, I think, $5 million in dead money on, on the Texans cap in 2023. The team can still, this team can still re- renegotiate and, you know, keep those, you know, remove the voids, things like that. They can extend it, extend the contract out, restructure it, whatever they need to do if they wanted to keep him beyond 2022. But as of right now, that's how it's going to work is 15 days before the league year starts. It's going to avoid he'll become a free agent, able to sign with any any team at the start of the new league year. And um, like I said, it'll leave, I think, $5 million, I'm looking at it right now. It'll leave $5 million in dead money on the on the 2023 cap. And, you know, it's, it's a good, it's, it's a way for the team and the player to know where everybody stands. It's a way for the player to know that I'm going to hit free agency in 2023. I don't have to wait to see what the team's going to do. I don't have to wait, you know, maybe the team goes all the way through training camp and then releases me because he doesn't have any more guaranteed money kind of things like that. So it's, I'm not saying it's a gift to the player, but it's it's a good exchange between player and team to know where everybody stands on it and when his schedule, what his schedule is going to look like for free agency for 2023. My comments is I I want to upgrade the receiving core, uh, especially the Chris Conley uh, slot. You know, Cooks I think is his own conversation. Obviously, Collins is back. Chris Moore fine, but I. I'd I'd be bringing in more guys. Uh, that's a spot I think about drafting somebody in round two or three, depending on how the board shakes out. I, I want more weapons on this team. Yeah, you read my mind there. I think there's going to be a big opportunity to get some stud receivers uh, in this draft. I mean, you 
Ohio State, I think they might have a few of their damn self. There are a lot of good receivers in this draft. And, like, early on, uh, like, as in, as intrigued as I am by, like, the first round, I think when you have those early picks in the second round, that's where you can do some work at, like, the wide receiver and running back position. Uh, Michael Pittman with the uh, with the Colts is a perfect example uh, of a guy who you get to look at, like, in day a day two so with this draft just the way it's shaping up i think there's going to be some guys that could potentially be pro bowl caliber receivers like drafted on day two so i'm with you i, th- I think drafting a receiver would make a lot of sense hell if you get another pick for uh for watson and let's say you're in the mid rounds i think even a receiver there would be i i would sign up for that quickly yeah i mean new england and same for bill o'brien they they rarely valued wide receivers that high. And I say that to say, cause they had then to kill Harry pick in the first round who hasn't really done much of anything. But at the end of the day, new England didn't really like playing, paying wide receivers, big money. And they generally did not draft them high for that aspect either. So I'm curious to see if that same mentality for Casario comes over here. But I know at the end of the day in new England, Casario would offer up, certain names and you know at different draft slots and it was it was a decision by Belichick if he followed that guidance or went on his own path so it's hard to really know how Casario really values that but I think from from a historical standpoint position skilled players unless they're just game changers that you can get in the top six seven picks I think there's a lot of value to have to be had and like Landry said, and like Mike said, in the in the second round, early third round, but generally the second round, that's where you can really find some really strong value. You know, the Justin Justin Jeffersons of the of the league and players like that, where you can find really strong value, and those players seem to grow really quickly because whatever reason caused them to drop down. But that's where I think you're going to find the value in, among the skilled players, and especially the the wide receiver group. You got anything else, Eduardo? No, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your explanation. I guess uh, just to add, I, I I would love to have Mariota as our backup and and Linderbaum as our as one of our picks. So you know, and I know you guys discussed those two names, and so I would love those two. But thank you so much for everything, and appreciate your your explanation. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, I do. Mar- Mariota like is on Mariota. my list. Yeah, Mariota is very much on my list for for potential backup yeah, quarterbacks. I, I, I think he's a high-end backup. Uh, the Raiders are a team that obviously could have some upheaval at the quarterback position. And Mariota's kind of one of those guys, like Landry mentioned, where he'd probably look at Davis Mills and say, like, hey, I might be able to beat that guy out, or that guy might struggle next season. I have a chance to play. I think that'd be, that would be uh, a sort of inspired idea at backup quarterback. Yeah. All right, let's see. we got another request in here from uh, MC2.811. Let's see here. Let's just go with MC. Yeah, MC. MC. There you go. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Uh, really appreciate the great commentary. And and I think, you know, so my question may have been somewhat answered in the last, uh, you know, comments here. But I, I'm curious to hear what what your preference is in the draft. Um 
next year? What what would you like to see happen? I know we've heard a lot about different value uh, in some of the later rounds for receiving core, but just what you know in an ideal world, what would you like to see happen? Just draft good players. <laughs> I mean, at this point, it, oh wow! That, they, uh, that, take that, back, take back the thanks for the analysis comment there. I mean, that's, that's <laughs> stuff like that. I, I understand that's a that's a kind of a chicken shit thing to say, but there, this team has so many areas to address that you yeah. Can't, throw you, a dart. Throw a dart. You can't honestly. go, you that's, can't, that's you can't go wrong with with almost any position group, and it's still a little bit early to really dive into without knowing the final draft order and really dive into, you know, what players of interest. But at the end of the day, that's why I mentioned earlier the trade back scenario to me makes the most sense unless you're just dead set on a guy up there to just get as many, as Landry says, get as many darts as you can. And if you're able to, you know, if if the Watson thing pulls through and you're able to score – five picks in the top 100 that would just be a huge win regardless of where those slots are at and that would just give you a high percentage chance of of getting two or three impact players for the immediate future and and what those positions are it's hard to say right now because you know we got free agency before the draft so it kind of just depends on where things shake out on you know after free agency and where where the what the team's direction is you know, hope you know. Hopefully, Casario doesn't sign ninety free agents again. But you know, at this point, you can't really go wrong with any position at this point. In my in my opinion. Yeah, I, you you can basically throw a dart at this point, uh, and they need something. Which you know, it's it's. It's it's really it's it's going to be this might be the easiest draft that Nick Casario has ever been a part of because in New England, like I said, like I keep hearing about New England and yes, they missed on Harry. They obviously took the wrong receiver, but you can say draft best player available and you can say all that crap. But when you were in New England for the majority of Casario's time, you only needed a a couple of things and you weren't going to be sitting, you weren't drafting a quarterback. There were, there were like you weren't drafting certain things. He's, he's going to, he's, he's got a luxury that not every team has. Like he truly can draft the best player available. Uh, Yeah. I, I, I agree with that because I I think about, because I've been here for, you know, 10, 11 years. I remember, going into so many specific drafts, like honing in on specific positions. Like people knew what the Texans needed. Like, like w- when they needed a receiver, corner tackle, corner tackle, yeah. corner like, tackle, running back. And, and, you can never like, have too many cornerbacks. Yeah. This is a draft where like the roster is like so open that going best player available is going to be a lot easier for this team than for almost, for almost any other team in the league. I think. So MC, I, I, I'm sorry we don't have like more specific answers for you, but hopefully that kind of gives you our thoughts on the matter at, at this point in time. And that's gonna, our our opinions are gonna change dramatically over the next, you know, over the next four months. No, I, I uh, you know, I really appreciate the the comments, and <clears throat> I mean, honestly, it makes the most sense to me to hear best available because there are so many gaps. Uh, to just hone in on one thing, it, it doesn't make sense at this time, um, but. What do I know? I mean, I I holler at the TV and for some reason still watch these. You know games. a lot. You know a lot. You know a lot. You you know, know, a lot. You, you, you know as going. much as we do, man. <laughs> 
All right, MC, you got anything else, buddy? No, appreciate it. You guys have a good evening. I'll hop back off and uh, just listen in. There you go, sir. All right, man, we're running out of requests. Mm-hmm. It's only 10.24. Uh, let's see. We did get two other DM questions. Um, no the- Lou Holtz smartassery, right? Right. No, <laughs> I- I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna block Josh for that. Um, nah, I'm nah. just kidding. I'm just kidding. Josh is my uh, my R coding guy. Um, this your coding good... guy. Yeah. Drugs? Well, I coding. No, whenever I <laughs> I tried to dabble into the R studio for for the mm. for looking at EPA per play and all that stuff, and then I realized I don't have the time and I don't have the 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 knowledge. Oh, I thought to you said it. coding, like no. coding. No, no, no. C O D I N G. I thought you were telling on your plug there. No, no. But jo- Josh is big into that. He's very smart with with the uh, with the R Studio. So, all right. So we had a question, and this is something that I should have written down, and I forgot. And it's more gossipy than anything, but it's still cool. So another question: What do you think about Andre Johnson sitting with the McNairs this weekend after after what all he said during the Deshaun Watson situation? I don't. I don't understand the connection like between it. Like he didn't never say he never like I'm, I'm real, you know, you know me, I, I like to talk about the drama, but like he didn't, he wasn't sit like he wasn't sitting arm in arm with Jack Easterby, like sharing popcorn or something like that. Like go, go read the tweet. He said Deshaun Watson should stand his ground and go and nothing good has happened since Jack Easterby's uh, gotten here and Cal McNair can't see what's going on. That's what he said. He didn't. He didn't say f Cal McNair. He didn't say I want nothing to do with the Texans. He didn't say I'm never going to show up. Uh, well, in the building he said again. a few like, different different radio hits that he was distance, distancing himself from the team. Okay, so he said in the suite the week before he's going to be eligible for the Hall of Fame and most likely gonna, gonna gonna go in as a Texan. Like, what is that like distancing? I mean, it, he he was in the suite one time. Like, I, I I didn't make I didn't make much of it. Maybe y'all did. I really didn't. Oh, Twitter made a big I, I have, Twitter I, made a big thing about it. Well, I have a couple. Of, I have a, I have a number of things to say about this. Uh, right. First of all, Come I was on. actually glad. I, I was uh, I was glad to see it. Um, just no, because, I was like, happy. I was happy like, to see it too. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's Andre Johnson for God's sake. Like he's one of the two best players who's ever donned the uniform. Like I watched Andre play. Like you guys watched him play. Like like you want your franchise legends to have a good relationship or at least a workable relationship with the franchise and. I think there's a lot of stuff I see on Texas Twitter where, like, they're trying to, like, uh, some people, to be fair, are trying to, like, make a thing. It's like, well, Andre's a hypocrite or these people are hypocrites. Because, but, like, not everything is going to happen according to the way that you or I see it. Like, Andre Johnson can be frustrated at, like, the Easterby thing or how things may have gone down with him in the franchise. But, like, ultimately, like, if you're Andre, like, keeping a grudge against anybody in your life, like, that saps a lot of energy. Like, Andre Johnson is going to be associated with like with two entities for the rest of his life, the University of Miami football program and the Houston Texans. Like it takes a lot of energy to like maintain whatever grudge may have developed in the last year or so to where Andre is getting to the point where he's probably going to be inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame at some point in the next couple of years. He's going to go in as a Texan. There'll be a lot of people from Houston going to that. He'll be talking to people like and at some point, like you want to have a good cordial relationship with the owner even if you disagree with some of the things that are going on so my overall take on sunday seeing that was i was glad to see that for texas fans to have him back in the building and back in the fold 
even if he was frustrated and still might be frustrated over what's happened last year and what happened with Easterby. I just don't understand why you would want to like try to try to like defend Jack Easterby if you're a Texans fan. Like you, you, you can. You can be disgusted with what's happened since Jack Easterby's gotten here, and you can try to like act like people are pulling it out of their ass what they're saying about him. Like Andre said, what he said, and people talk to who they talk to, and there, there's enough information out there. So, if if you want to like wave the flag for Jack Easterby, have at it. But I I, I didn't think Andre was going to be like completely done. I didn't I, like I, I don't think that was like some sort of like I, I think if you talk to Andre, and I I know people who've actually talked to people are very close to Andre like he's not going to sit there I promise you he doesn't think anything more of Jack Easterby today than he did when he sent that tweet out I mean I think I think it's I I think it's obvious and he naturally distanced himself from the organization because he was kind of on the coaching staff uh and now he's just sitting in the suite with McNair so I think there was that too fair enough fair enough I have one other I have one other question for Mike um, I've been meaning to ask you yeah. this for a couple of weeks, you know, I'm scared now. <laughs> well, it's, you know, I generally don't talk about Watson on here, but the, the news of the subpoenas on the social media, is there any new feedback, anything that you got thoughts on that? I know the subpoenas came down in, in October and we just found out about them in December, but does that make anything worse, anything less, or it's just part of the process? I'm just really curious to see what happens when, uh, I guess, eventually the, uh, the prosecutor presents to the grand jury. Um, people don't know this, like, nationally, but I know in Texas and especially in Harris County, like, it, typically a, a grand jury is a secretive proceeding, right? Like, there shouldn't be anything public about it. Um, and in some places, like, the defense doesn't really get to do much. But I know in Harris County and in, in Texas, but especially here, like, the defense gets to present like a packet to the grand jury. And so they'll have like whatever Deshaun's quote unquote side is, uh, the grand jury would see that side. So it's not going to be just like a one sided situation where it's like, hey, you only hear from the prosecution. You only might you might hear uh, some of the vic- the alleged victims testify like there would be some sort of balance there. But it, it, it's a good question. I don't I'm not, I'm not giving you a really direct answer. Uh, because I, I'm kind of wondering myself, like we heard the, uh, rumor in the last couple of weeks that like there's, there are 22 accusations and 18 of them were going to settle and there were four holdouts. Uh, I've always had a hard time really gauging the risk factor of the, of the criminal thing because the, the civil stuff can kind of keep going on and it'll, and it'll eventually get settled. The, the criminal stuff is where I'd be a little bit antsy and I'll remain antsy from a Texan standpoint until a trade is consummated just because that process is inherently like out of everybody's hands, like that, because that's in the hands of, you know, the district attorney and they will do what they want to do on their own time frame. All right. Well, that answers my question. All right. Well, we're out of questions. I'm out of talking points. Wow. You're already out. This, is, huh? this has what been a good mean? one. What do you mean? It's 1030. That was an hour and a half. This is the <laughs> longest cap and trade episode in history well i'm i'm happy to be a part of it sir yeah likewise mike i want to i want to get a subpoena of your uh social media see all those dms that you've been sending to the to all the ladies around town i don't i don't have any i don't think i have anything to hide actually in my dms maybe in other parts of my life but not my dms i just want to see what's going on in there not much 
Well, you don't want to look at mine with mine being open. I get all kinds of craziness. Sometimes I should some DPs and stuff. Some Brett Favre. <laughs> <laughs> no, none of that. Luckily, no. The folks are the Twitter's generally pretty nice to me. Fortunately, so no complaints there. But all right. Well, since there's no more questions and I'm out of talking points, um, I think we'll 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 call it a night. That was a an excellent show. An hour and thirty two minutes. Um, well, thank you guys. No, thank you, Mike. I hope you I hope you get to feeling better and get over COVID and get going in the right direction and hope you get your taste buds back. Landry, I hope you have a, a fantastic flight that's going to incur in, in uh, seven and a half hours. And so I hope you get some rest and uh, hope everybody has a good evening, good holiday, good, good, good safe New Year's. Um, I'm hoping to be back next Tuesday. I'm not entirely sure we will or won't, but we'll see. And uh, we'll go from there. So, Mike, Landry, thank you guys. Got anything else you need to thank close you. out with? Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Good night. Thank you, Vandermeer. guys. All right. All right. Well, with that, we'll call it a night. And thank you all, everybody, for listening. We're up, you know, upwards of uh, 87 listeners at, at various points. A lot of good questions. A lot of good, you know, I got eight or nine questions on DM. We had, you know, many listeners. Popping in there questions. You know, I see a lot of familiar faces when I scroll through the roster. So I appreciate everybody coming back and listening. And with that, we will shut it down and, and everybody have a wonderful night. Thank you.